Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most shortest work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that, as always, was Ruben Morehouse. And I, as always, am back to talk about Judgment 16.4. So, uh, let's talk about it, Elliot. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this chapter, so we should just get stuck into it. <laughs> yeah, this is this one's a doozy. Um, so, last chapter obviously ended with uh, Rose and Elder Sister inviting in Mrs. Lewis, and in she walks at the start of this chapter, and Rose kind of feels the, the weight of everybody responding or not responding to uh, her bid. Um, she's offered to let anybody go uh if they just hand over rose basically yeah and, and i mean really the the first like 10 paragraphs here are just dedicated to helping us feel how monumental this is especially for rose uh like yeah it, just all the stuff um that, that goes on like there's a bit where miss lewis sort of gets the vibe that everybody's not jumping at her offer of escape and she's like i can swear an oath and rose comments that not a soul responded yeah and and there's lots of little things like that like that phrasing of not a soul rather than nobody yeah um, so that just makes it makes it feel so much more heavy yeah i love that it didn't tweak for me but it, of course the fact that they're describing that their souls didn't respond is obviously very mm. important um, yeah it's uh it's very relevant imagery for sure yeah, and you're right. The start of this chapter is just setting up the tension in this room. Like, it's there's, what, maybe one or two sentences uttered in the first ten paragraphs? Um, yeah. And, and the effect of that is that we, as the audience, are in Rose's head here. We're in this position of kind of desperately hoping that nobody speaks up, um, <laughs> and they don't. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, like, it's all framed around this metaphor Rose starts to build of... Um, the candles in yep. the uh, the church, which just actually notes, you know, they're not real candles. There's those, they're those candles, and I mean, I, like I saw these a lot growing up. The just the plasticky ones that basically have a little light bulb. Yep. And so while they kind of look like candles and they give off the light of candles, obviously they're not. They're, they're so much more still, and you when you look at them, you realize that they're not real candles. And obviously, Rose yeah. is tying that to a lot of things going on right now. Yes, uh, the the comparison between Mrs. Lewis and these candles is great, right? Because they're kind mm. of the illusion of life, but it's actually plastic and fake. Yes, and of course, we we know as of fifteen dot x that Mrs. Lewis is fake as shit. Yep. Um, when it comes to acting like a human, um, I, yeah, you know, Rose finally found a human that's less human than she is, so that's nice. <laughs> yes <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting it um so mrs lewis and rose kind of have a bit of a back and forth in this conversation where they're both trying to basically make big bold statements that everyone will just agree with but agree with <laughs> so they agree with their side yeah and i i feel like the the big bit here for for me was when miss lewis sort of gives her speech where she's like well you know i just hope everyone remembers that when their life is going to shit you're the one who brought them here and you're <laughs> the one who who did this like if they just gave me you it'd all be okay uh and rose doesn't even challenge it at all well yeah it is uh, true it's obviously it, true <laughs> yeah exactly and and like the the thing here is like and, and the real reason this jumped out to me is rose sort of thinks yeah blake would be fighting this because there's obviously an argument to be made but, and rose has made this argument already about how this was always coming and you know blake would probably head uh, hit, uh, hit this front on and be like no you know that's not entirely true blah blah, blah and Whereas Rose just sort of absorbs the blow and is just like, 
don't don't pretend you weren't gunning for Faisal and the yeah. barber this whole time. And it's it, it does work so much better. And like I just love that as not only is it a real badass moment, uh, but the way, you know, it's also doing character work with Rose and Blake and Rose's perception of Blake. It's it's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of just occurring to me now that this whole conversation is kind of a political debate, right? And you don't win yep. debates by kind of squabbling over the minor details of incidents. Obviously, yeah. you, you exude confidence and you talk about big, bold strokes. And Blake is exactly the kind of person that would dive into the to the little squabble to not lose a point. And by not losing a point, he would lose, you know, the faith of the gathered people. Yeah, and isn't that Blake and Rose in a nutshell? Blake is short-term focused and yeah. Rose is thinking about the big picture and that's yeah. exactly what she does here. And, and you know, a- again, like, she reads the room here. Like, this is something we talked about a lot last chapter as well and it's going to come up a lot this chapter. Like, uh, Rose and her ability to interact with the human people um, is sort of something that she's been struggling with. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is an example of where she kind of nails it. She sort of sees that the way to win this argument isn't to squabble, but to just sort of take a step back and very casually and succinctly undermine Miss Lewis's argument indirectly. Yeah, it's interesting because this is one of the first explicit cases where Rose has done better to con- you know, to, to make a bridge between people. Like, I, I mm. guess it's more, maybe it's because it is a bit more manipulative than, like, vulnerable, <laughs> uh, which Rose has always been better at. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think there's maybe some other subtle signs that she's she's getting better at this as the chapter goes, but we'll, yeah. we'll just keep track of those as we go, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I do love the style of Rose making these huge, bold statements like, no, we are declaring war, when obviously, the, <laughs> if anybody challenges that at any point, that statement is completely fucked, and she knows that they are quite close to challenging it, and is just kind of hoping that no one actually does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you really, you feel like this is on a razor's edge uh, the whole time Miss Lewis is here. Yeah. Um, and Mrs. Lewis does some good kind of uh, positioning in this argument as well. She she makes a good play where she kind of positions staying in the church as the first step towards siding with her already so that inaction becomes, you know, passively her win rather than Rose's. And it doesn't quite work, but it is a good strategy and it does set up, yes, Mrs. Lewis knows how to tango in this way as well. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, of course, Miss Lewis kind of leaves with the old, uh, you know, all we want is Rose, dead or alive. And there's like this this implication that that's that would be the end of it and yes of course just after she leave rose is like so yeah like just in case anybody had any doubts like that's obviously bullshit right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah which was like a great moment yeah my favorite bit is as soon as mrs lewis leaves rose exhales checks that no one's just shot her and then turns around and starts continuing <laughs> <laughs> yeah and especially i love the little just like the injection of kind of like, the humor of fantasy settings where it's like, okay, so I've been shot with bullets or a bolt of lightning. Yep. Um, uh, like, Which it's is just probably this... more likely considering Elder Sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just, I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that sort of, like, I, I like it when, it felt to me like a, a way of framing some of this fantasy setting and just highlighting how absurd it can be, like, relative to the real world. Yeah. Um, it's just fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, we're really in the... We know enough of the world that we can really just have these little jokes that, that land so perfectly because we've been immersed in this world for, you know, a year and a half. Yeah, exactly. Like, the thought of having to worry about somebody shooting you with lightning is just so hilariously ridiculous, um, but also, in this context, completely sensible. Um, 
I, I also, obviously, something that comes up right after uh, Missilis leaves is Mags. I mean, Rose seems to have gotten to Mags is basically what happens next is yep. Mags compares all this to what Johannes was saying and Johannes's domain. And, you know, obviously this is great because it shows us that Mags is, is on side, which is useful for a bunch of reasons. Um, and just the way she ties it to Johannes, I think it makes sense because we learned a lot of that stuff with Mags. And also tying Johannes and what he was doing feels very important because what's been really getting set up the last few chapters is um, taking down Fazal Barbahana's... Um, <laughs> yeah, that flows seems, off the tongue. <laughs> uh, seems to be what this is going to come down to. Like They are, yeah. you know, the, the sort of MacGuffin-y thing. If, if you can take them out um, or, or switch their sides or whatever, that's going to turn the tide. And so tying it to what Johannes was doing feels like that's the seed of something. Yeah, I absolutely love, by the way, that we've had basically three different types of big bad that have been set up over the course of this story, and now they're all just kind of meshed into one <laughs> entity that is the ultimate villain. And, like, it works so well. Yeah, I mean, obviously at the core of it is um, the, the barber, but he's tapped into the power of these other things like he's presumably running the domain like god when they get in there like what the fuck's it gonna be is there yep. gonna be one phase all there, there might be multiple phase yep um fuck knows whatever else in the domain that might you know have brothers and sisters now yeah uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be very fun yeah could literally be anything um <laughs> so i want to talk on this so you pulled out this uh this line um where Rose uh, talks about recognizing theatrics for what they are, respecting the power of believing that you can accomplish something. Um, and he put a little joke here, which I liked. Oh, I, yeah, I just said it was hard to believe that was written before 2016. Yes, because obviously the idea of, of theatrics. I mean, this is kind of what I want to talk about, right? Is we talked about last chapter, we talked about kind of the uh, the, the, the like hopefulness, the belief in the ability of humans to make things better. Um, that this yeah. work seems to be exhibiting. And we touched upon the idea of the kind of political nature of theatrics and, and even how the start of this chapter feels like a political debate. And it's interesting. I, I wouldn't call this Wildbo's most political work because Ward has some more overt political references, right? And, and this is a yeah. bit of spoilers if you haven't read Ward, so skip the next 15 seconds or so. But, you know, specifically the anti-parahuman sentiment being kind of this um, xenophobic rhetoric kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but I, I, I just, I really like how much the world of Pact supports exploring these political themes. I think it's something that isn't leveraged to to do uh, to to talk about many political ideas in Pact, but there's so many interesting systems in Pact that lend themselves to political parallels. I'd be really interested to see more political stuff in uh, Pact Two if that ever happens. <laughs> I, I think something that's driven every level of pact that we maybe haven't called out as explicitly as a theme as, mm. as maybe we should have is i think one of the core things you can say about pact is it's about imbalances in power and yes and so naturally that just lends itself to yeah like political tie-ins and, and stuff like that because it's obviously you know dealing with the same sort of issues yes um, but the thing i love about it is yes of course it's about imbalance of power and like these old old systems that rule the world but yeah. also it's so clearly about humans a, a gathering of humans has the ability to change the world around them tangibly yeah. and that's such a a beautiful like political um political metaphor yeah yeah absolutely um like I mean, yeah, like Rose even sort of calls it out in 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 the original line. 
her her next thing after saying you just need to respect the power of believing you can accomplish something yeah is her saying i can't even express how important that is yeah and i mean that's basically wild boat just writing down hey like this is this is very important to the story because it's packed so it's also important in the story yeah um and yeah i mean and again because it's so blake i mean i think in my live read i highlighted this sentence and just wrote blake.txt because <laughs> because that's what he's been doing all yes. book, and 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 now this is sort of at the end things are coming together and it's sort of saying hey this is this is kind of what matters here yeah yeah blake's defining feature has really been his stubborn belief that he can change his destiny yeah, he's just unwillingness to accept the shittiness, shitty, yeah. shitty situation he was in. He was like, "No, fuck you! I can, I can fix this." Yeah, it's it's great. I love it, and I would love to see more of explicitly political themes explored through through these kind of systems. Um, but we'll see. That's yeah. a conversation for another day, I think. <laughs> um, yes. Back in in uh, the actual story of Pact, Rose <laughs> starts putting together her hit squad of uh, of the ace people from each team. Yeah, I mean, this is very fun. Um, I love big team-up stuff like this. You know, I was a huge supporter of the first Avengers film for, for sort of bring, starting to bring stuff together. And yeah. I think it's why I love long-form storytelling. Like, we've talked about how, how we both sort of gravitate towards these longer-form stories. And this is another reason, is you can lay out so much history that yeah. then we get things like this delivered on. Like, this this is some stuff that's been getting seeded since the start of the book, these relationships between characters. Yeah. Um, and, and it feels so good to start to see that come together. Like, um, and while Bo takes it like a level further than is necessary, like, I think the easy answer would have been to have like someone like Sandra Mm -hmm. on, on this team, but instead we get Lola, which is like a setup that's been much more undercurrent and it feels even cooler when it happens. Yes. Um, Ainsley, similarly, like she, she felt like such a left field choice. Like I was instantly like, oh well, Alistair's gonna be here. Yeah. And Alistair's like, no, actually, I'm more useful here. And then Ainsley just stepped up, and I was like, shit, I didn't see that coming, but I'm, I'm here for it. Yep. And of course, if Ainsley on the squad, Peter's gonna be on the squad too. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd focus on their little interaction <laughs> a bit later. Um. Yeah. The other thing is, it's interesting. Is she's obviously getting like one person from each camp, right? And she doesn't end up taking anybody from the Sisters of the Torch, which I think possibly would have been quite a hard sell. But yeah, and and I also don't. She never explicitly calls this out in her narration. Like, yes, I get one person from each camp, but it's such a great play of her in order to like make it so that people are less willing to betray her. Like, it's a good <laughs> little piece of insurance. I quite like it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen from uh, in Arc Thirteen when Blake was hanging out with the Satyrs and stuff that um doesn't always help yes true Uh, but yeah you're right like again it's one of those things like this world is so great because it's kind of been set up that it is important in world for rose to kind of have people representing every group yeah uh and the way she the way she does this is by just having Paige represent all of toronto (laughs) yeah which is a bit of a yeah yeah a bit reductionist maybe fair maybe not um i guess we'll see how it goes but uh yeah it's it's really fun watching her start to piece together especially because the bit where she chooses Peter is so perfectly written. Yeah. Like, because we're led into it. Like, Rose is thinking on all this and, and she sort of thinks, okay, so I have a Bahame and I have a Duchamp and I have a Torontian. Uh, and, you know, do I need someone for the Thorburns? And then Peter just speaks up and says something offensive. I can't even remember what. And you're just instantly like, oh, you fucking idiot, Peter. Like, yep. you've done it now. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's really good, isn't it? And it makes perfect sense because if you have to pick a Thorburn, Peter is the obvious choice, right? And Rose kind oh, of absolutely. walked through how basically everybody else has to be excluded. But of course, not just a good choice logically, but narratively, Peter is the perfect <laughs> choice because he's been the most active Thorburn. He clearly fits the most into this world. And also his dynamic with Ainsley is hilarious. <laughs> and Paige. I mean, that's going to be... And like, Paige, yes, that's true. Like, all three of them are probably going to be hilarious. What a combo. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's funny because the other the other Thorburn I would have thought is maybe a consideration would have been Roxanne because like she's she's proven herself uh, useful as a potential assassin. Yes. Um. But Rose does draw a line at bringing young people because she she looks at Emily like Fell's niece. Yeah. And is like, hmm, it it probably isn't right to bring someone that young, and yeah. then follows that thought up with because young people are unreliable. <laughs> yep. That's it's like, oh, Rose, you, you were so close. <laughs> She's almost got so there, close. hasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I just, I had a good laugh at, at Rose's logical thinking there. Um, <laughs> She's logic to way to morals. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just because I think right after this, she looks at Ty and, and sort of is like, oh, fuck, like I care about these people. And, yeah. and she's kind of, she's a little bit frustrated at this because it's a distraction, um, which is like maybe a little <laughs> bit true. Like I, I just, I'm, I'm finding this, I'm, I'm just loving Rose's head so much. Like watching her basically starting to learn to cope with feelings uh, yep. since, since now Blake has given her the, the capacity to yep. feel good feelings about people. It's, it's, um it's really fun to follow this stuff as she's coming to grips with it. <laughs> yes. Her evolution into a full human is quite interesting. <laughs> Mm, mm. Um, so Rose kind of looks over her group and thinks, yes, this is looking like a pretty good uh, kill squad. And uh, at this point, Blake seeds an idea in her head. Um, the abyss isn't just destruction and ruin. Yeah, and I, I think this leads her to exactly where Blake was, was aiming, which yes. is, of course, like, how could you forget Green Eyes? First of all, it's a murder squad. That's She's very good at that. Um, yeah, she I don't know why is the best murderer. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, you know, Blake... Blake started to make friends with Alistair. It's only fair that she returns the favor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, we talked about this a lot last episode, so I'll, I'll try and skim over it. But, um, you know, obviously the abyss has come up here as, as, and Blake specifically calls back to the idea that it's maybe a force of change yes. um, rather than just destruction. And yeah, like that, that's going to have to be important going forward. I feel like the abyss is going to be a player in this hit squad um in a very tangible way because it just it's been so important to the story it fits right in with this concept of change i can't i can't think of exactly how it's going to be but i feel like the abyss is going to be sort of the final play i don't know yeah yeah thinking about it like we talked about the idea of how they're losing each of their resources one by one and the abyss has been the thing that is a constant in their lives like constantly interacting with them constantly making its presence known to them i suppose um and we also know that it hasn't deserted them. If anything, the links between them have gotten stronger because Rose pledged her, her practicing to it, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I think we're definitely going to see it come back in a tangible way. Yeah. And, and I mean, also as well, uh, it seems like the lawyers just went and fetched, um, you know, Barbatorum and Johannes out of the abyss, uh, which it tends to not really be a fan of letting things go uh, historically. So, like, I think it might also be on side just because it probably wants its stuff back. Yeah. Um. So maybe, yeah. Uh. Yeah. I. I don't know. I can't. I can't sort of wait to see how the abyss slots in to being a part of how this goes. But I'm almost certain it's going to be. So the other thing that 
this obviously brings up is uh, Green Eyes and her connection to Rose. Um, and Rose kind of thinks about what the motivation of Blake asking for Green Eyes to come along here is. <laughs> I, I, I quite like the idea that Blake is getting Green Eyes to come along just as a bit of insurance that he's not going to get totally fucked over because Green Eyes is basically the one person, Evan kind of, but Green Eyes even more aggressively so, the one person who will always fight to... Uh, for his rights, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Rose and Blake have been getting on so well, I want to have more faith that it, yeah. Blake wouldn't think he'd need that. Yeah. But then also, Rose does have the thought here that, oh, Green Eyes will kill me the second Blake's out. Is that why he's bringing her? And I was just like, <laughs> God damn it, Rose. Like, we've been on such a streak, and now you're having, like, paranoid, combative thoughts about Blake again. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, again, I, f- I feel like this is going to be very fun moving forward. Yeah. Um, talking about the Abyss wanting Barbatorum and Johannes back, it might still be harboring feelings about losing Blake as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I can't wait for them to to actually get into. Like, I assume they're still heading for Johannes's domain, and um, you know, we know that the Abyss loves domains. Maybe got its hooks in when Johannes was down there. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think this is going to be very fun. Uh, what's happening in this domain with maybe the Abyss's hooks and a demon running the show? Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, so Rose has put together her Avengers and uh, Elder Sister basically at this point questions whether they have a plan and Rose <laughs> kind of uh, hobbles together De- enough deflects. of something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but to the rescue, again, Evan, who does have a plan. Oh boy, and we'll get there in a sec. Yeah. Um, but just just before we get before we get there i i love this little moment where elder sister's like yeah you seem to know the the lawyers pretty well and rose just thinks yeah i basically picture what blake and i would do and take away the intrinsic want to do good and that's pretty much (laughs) the lawyers um it's such a fun thought i mean it's always it's always great writing when you're like you know protagonist and antagonist mirror each other in a lot of ways and and this is obviously like just a summary of, of how Blake and Rose are like this for the lawyers. Like they do sort of think like diabolists in a way, and and that's being shown here. Well, they are diabolists. That's true, actually. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah. Uh, so I want to touch on Evan having a plan because <laughs> he brings it up, and obviously he's brought this up so many times. And so Rose and Tiff both immediately, automatically dismiss him, <laughs> yeah. which is like yeah, it's, maybe it's, fair. it's just a habit. Yeah, but it feels like they're just doing it habitually at first. Yeah, 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 totally. And then Lola kind of is like, "No, no, wait, he's a part of this. Like, let's hear him out." (laughs) And he's, and it's just kind of like, "Oh yeah, Evan actually can have good ideas. It's actually like come to the point where this is a good idea." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, the second Lola sort of stood up for him, I was like, "Oh fuck, we're doing this." And you know, this has been something that has been getting like seated in our heads for arcs and arcs so uh my expectations were monumentally high and so far they have been absolutely met um like this is this is one of those things where a a good chunk of the book has been dedicated to seeding the idea for this in our heads so it it was like big shoes to fill yeah um so we do a bit of a time jump to not reveal it too early which is perfect uh rose and alistair kind of peek outside the doors and then unleash uh, Firebird Evan. Yeah, I've taken to calling him the Ev in my uh, notes because that just feels big. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, let's just pack up the podcast here. It's just sure it's all downhill from here. Well, all I all I want from this story is Evan, Firebird Evan, and 
um, Peter and, and Ainsley's relationship. So <laughs> if that's just what we focus on from now on, I'm happy. <laughs> um, it, yeah, no, but like obviously uh, this this Evan transformation scene is fucking fantastic. The the way he's like gleefully giggling as he gets bigger and like Rose notes it's getting like lower and lower. Like you can just picture it being one of those like audio effects they do where where they just kind of cheaply lower the pitch and like and add echo and like Evan's laughter is just kind of getting like hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> um like I'd almost want it done in that kind of cheap and simple way rather than anything more clever. Like I, I always pictured it exactly like, you know, what happens to Galadriel's voice in that yeah. scene in Fellowship of the Ring where yeah. she kind of wigs out for a second. Yeah. Um in fact let's just get in in Pact's visual thing, Kate Blanchett can voice Evan. Yeah, I can for see the that. whole story. Just and then just so we can reuse that effect for when she turns into like the Ev. <sighs> yeah, so the Ev is here. Um but obviously there's a big threat that's out here, right? Yeah. I mean, as we said, like Rose and Alistair peek outside and there's some crazy shit with the demons here that like I just kind of immediately left my brain. Like when I was reading this the second time for the notes, I was like, Oh yeah, there's those demons there. I forgot because I kind of got so blown away by like, you know, the well, rise of the Ev. Yeah, this is the thing about it, right? Is we've talked about how we as the audience are basically the spirits, right? And I, I think this is a good sign. The fact that Evan's Firebird transformation is powerful and important enough to overshadow the horrifying demons that are out there. If it can overshadow them for us as the audience, that means it can overshadow them for the spirits. And so yeah. Evan, that's kind of the book in my mind, signaling to us, yes, this might actually be enough to help them out of this situation. Yeah. To do to do something, yeah, you're right. Um, because like there's one there's one demon, and, and like the second time it was like, oh my god, how did I forget this? Where it's like just like some cubes with yeah. like torn flesh between them, yeah. and I was just like, like there's something, you know. Obviously, we've seen so many demons that are horrible and gross in all these various ways, and then there's just this one that's just kind of weird flesh in cubes, and I was just like, somehow this is like a whole new level of existential dread in yeah. demon form. Like I. It was such a uniquely horrifying form for a demon. I really liked it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely very strange. A very strange <laughs> demon. I'm excited to see what kind what of type of horror it manifests. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Firebird Evan goes out and attacks, and everyone kind of rushes out, knowing that this is their chance to, to get themselves out of this corner that they're backed into. Uh, but unfortunately, the lawyers have a plan. Basically, a demon screams, and it and Rose feels her sanity slipping away. And her last coherent thought is, "Oh, of course Oops. they're going to try and push us back in." My mistake was assuming they'd give us a choice in the matter. Yeah, because something something we kind of skipped over, but earlier on they established that they they're going to try and break out, and if the lawyers can force them back in, that's kind of game over. Yeah, that's enough to, to kill their momentum completely. Exactly. So the the whole idea with this push out is that they can't let themselves get forced back in. And yeah, obviously Rose sort of has the thought of, oh yeah, they might just use a demon to kind of make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I, I got my fingers crossed that because Blake is one step removed from Rose's faculties, he's still in there and we might get to jump back into Blake's perspective as he tries to piece Rose's sanity back together mm. or steer her in the right direction. Um, like, that could be really fun watching him try to like... Uh, control her insanity and, and steer her in the right direction like from inside of her I, I don't know I think that'll be a lot of fun yeah it sounds interesting um yeah it's definitely a situation of they had this small amount of hope with Evan and it's kind of being dashed a bit we even see Firebird Evan falling out of the sky 
Um, <laughs> but we'll see how it how it uh, how everything goes down next time. Yeah, well, because something. So, sorry to interrupt the ending, but like something else is Evan narrowly escapes capture by the lawyers twice yeah and of course like that's when blake chimes in to sort of tell rose hey that's like he can't do this a third time so just as you're like okay now we need to do the next maneuver then suddenly they all get hit by um the insanity demon which has weird skin clothing stuff <laughs> just just as an aside yep just as a little horrifying aside um but that's the end of uh, judgment 16.4 but not the end of our show, because it's time for us to dive back in and talk more about demons. Yeah, uh, we're going to go over the discussion question uh, that everyone wrote some great answers to over last week, which was, um, you know, in what kind of situations is it okay to use demons? Yes. Um, so, of course, we got a few answers that were, no, never, don't ever do it, <laughs> ever, never. Yeah, I've, I've labelled this the list of good people. Yes, so congratulations, um, so- good people. Yeah, so it was uh, Bigo Miko, uh, Bisexual Punts Party, and Ripper1337. Yes, there were some others that said things along similar lines, but we want to dive into some of them a bit more detailed. Yeah, um, there was also like another list which I've titled the No You People, um, <laughs> who, the, who was basically I, like a, a common trend we got where people who were answering with just the, the only time you can sort of morally justify it is if somebody is about to send like a bigger worse demon at you yeah. you you try and you know get in there first yeah um, i think farm fresh hornets one of these users uh summed it up in the in the best way which was you know demons don't just do bad shit they fuck with the order of things you know so any time yeah. you're using a demon is so bad because it's not just you or your friends or your family that's getting fucked over it's everybody for all time always <laughs> Um, yeah so the only time that's ever ever even possibly okay is if there's worse damage being dealt to every single human forever yeah basically letting a demon express itself is taking from the universe yes so the only thing the only reason to take is to ensure that less is taken overall yeah um yeah and so i think awesome toast and nameless 218 were were the other two who sort of had similar thoughts yep um we we got a great response from Captain Rhino, who listed out like a bunch of kind of hilarious scenarios where it would be okay. Um, I I I've pulled out my personal highlights, um, which include uh, if you're in a situation where you're a diabolist and your enemies think you're going to pull out a super powerful demon, so you pull out a teeny one just to mess with them. Um, <laughs> great, great. Yeah. Um, there was, was also if you sail a boat out to Point Nemo, which is this point in the Pacific Ocean that's like you know essentially the middle of nowhere, um, and you just try to summon every demon you know and stick them in that part of the ocean so everyone else can't use them for a while. Yeah, good strategy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just there were there were a bunch of other ones there, like um, you know, pit a third choir demon against some seventh choir imps to see who would win. <laughs> um. Or, a demon you know, fight who, club. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, a third choir uh demon versus four seventh choir imps but if the fourth choir seventh choir imps had four four days to prepare all this classic who would win uh type restrictions it was very funny yeah solid stuff um one answer that was one of the few answers where i was actually kind of like yeah i could use a demon in this way um was from beard of valor um so beard of valor touches on the idea that there are demons weaker demons especially that aren't just about destruction We've seen demons that are focused on things like incest, that have their kind of domain that they specialize in. Um, and so Peter Valor talks about how you can use some demons to fuck people over without necessarily killing or destroying them, just kind of doing some horrible things to them that will uh, 
caused them a lot of pain <laughs> and torment. <laughs> and it's kind of like that's arguably worse, but sure. I, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> it's not a it's not necessarily a explode the world to do your damage kind of deal. You can use more specifically targeted knives, you know. Yeah, I I would argue that in the world of pacts, like these things being labeled as demonic would suggest that it is as destructive in some way. Like to take mm. the incest example. Yeah. Um. I mean, we've seen some examples of where incest can go in the world with Midge, and it does seem to it does seem to take as much as it changes yeah. from from people in this world. So, yeah. like, I I don't know. I think it's maybe just. Uh, that's falling into the trap of thinking the more abstract choirs are doing less damage when maybe they're not. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, I I also liked um, Haunt of the Heron gave us this answer, which kind of, uh, they set up like a series of guidelines as to like building a scenario where it's okay to use demons. Um, And and so the, the, the sort of three rules were you don't have any other solutions. Like you can't think of anything else that yep. would help. Uh, the stakes are high enough to kind of justify the damage it does to the universe and that, you know, you get your shit together and you you do it properly, like know what you're doing. Don't just try and wing it. Um, and, and like Haunter the Heron brings up that like in Rose Senior's case, she actually does hit all three of those markers. So maybe like hers was a good scenario of when it is maybe okay to use a demon, mm. um, which, I, which I liked as like tying, like just as an example of, of something in this discussion question is saying, hey, um, I mean... Here's an example in the book where I think you could make an argument that Rosinia did a smart thing and my system backs that up. So, you know, maybe there's something to it. Yeah, that's something that I didn't see that much discussion of outside of, of this response was Rosinia did use a demon and it has been seemingly in an altruistic way and a way that, while we don't know how it's really going to wrap up, there was at least a, a solid idea there behind how it would be successful yeah and, and like you know like obviously it was pretty rough on people like blake and rose like you know they didn't have a good time out of it yeah and and i, I i'm sure that's going to come into to anything that you have to say here and, and what the story will say about stuff like this but um you know especially if, if they win here it's it's going to be kind of indisputable that there was some level of success to what rose senior did so you know how okay does that make it like i think that's you know a very cauldron uh, type argument that people could make. I want to also pull out uh, Juan Sisson's answer here, which was basically, if you have nothing else to lose, go for it, <laughs> which I like. It's a very simplified version of like, legit, you've got nothing left. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, We, we got like a, a very sort of heartfelt and genuine answer from uh, Hashirama Cells, mm. who um was saying like they have... Uh, family in in Cameroon, uh, which is like currently uh, like in the middle of a civil war, yeah. And their family was like dealing with with some of the hardships there. And um, Hashirama was just sort of saying they would absolutely make some sort of deal with a demon if it helped them get their their family out safe. Like, which you know is a very understandable sort of situation to be in, where you make that long term sacrifice to, um, you know, get through something that sounds absolutely awful. Yeah, um, and they talked about, you know, specifically they called out a cost that they'd be f- totally fine with paying as a cup of flayed skin, which is c- pretty horrifying. But again, when you're in a situation that, I guess, that desperate, you know, why why wouldn't you pay that cost? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Sahibimum7 kind of talked about that as well, where they sort of mentioned they went back through Black Lamb's blood to, to answer this question and realized that, like... I- 
as like a reader reading this book it's it's very easy to, for us to sort of sit here and be like well demons are obviously awful and you should yeah. never use it yeah but if if you were in this world and you knew something about some of the demons and you could see the benefits as well as the the cost which is usually i mean this is how they get you the costs can often be a little bit more abstract or, or long term yeah. uh so hybem seven was like yeah you know what i i actually might fall for it which you know is probably the page i'm on as well yeah i could totally see myself thinking that this deal sounded like the costs sound pretty bad and then there's other costs that you don't think about so you're kind of like okay yeah the costs are bad but i can put up with a cup of flayed skin or whatever it is you know or smelling Mm. burnt stuff for the rest of my life like it's a shitty trade-off but i can do it and then suddenly you realize, no, there's actually this whole other world of costs that you didn't even know about. It's it's a very easy trick to fall into. Yeah, like with demons, I could totally see it being a thing where it's like you give Barbatorum a cup of flayed skin and then that skin doesn't grow back or some shit. Yeah. Like, like it's it's not just going to be, oh, you know, this will hurt for a couple of months and then I'll be fine. Like There's, there's going to be some trick, but you may not necessarily be the sort of person who knows enough to always think about that um, in this world. Yeah, totally. Um, a lot of interesting answers. So thanks for yeah. everyone who left an answer to our discussion question. Well done. Yeah, and uh, so with that, we move into our next discussion question, uh, which we'll be uh, discussing answers for in 16.6's episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the discussion question we've gone for is <clears throat> uh, pick an other and, and an element and explain what might happen to them if they got super juiced on it um uh, and you know got the same treatment that evan has just gotten yeah so evan's obviously got a whole uh, a whole helping full of uh, fire spirits injected into his veins and he's turned into firebird evan and uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested interested to hear what what other others would have if they got you know a bunch of metal injected into them or any other element mm. or even something a bit more abstract than a traditional element yeah, like you could even pick a dimension of the practice and, yeah. and say, like, you know, what would happen if Alistair poured all of his chronomancy, you know, time built up into Evan? Like, you know, what would, green, time... what would a green eyes time mermaid <laughs> look like? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, there's some really fun combos you could do here. I mean, even a simple one would be like, what if Evan but water, you know? Like, yeah. That, wait, that'd be, that'd be, be sort of cathartic, I don't think. No, I, I like go, go wild with it, I reckon, but, um, uh, you know, I can't tell you what to do. So, yeah, um, you know, pick another, pick any sort of element or dimension to the practice and, and think about what it might do to them if they got like an absolutely massive serving of it. Yeah. Um, so I guess while we're at the uh, the end of this episode, I want to pull in a comment that was left by a user in our 16.2 discussion thread. Um, this was a user called Lunaix. Is that right? L- Lunix? Lun- I, I, I'm not sure. A user called Linux. Um, (laughs) and they were basically talking about this realization that they had about how, uh, the lawyers are kind of a dark reflection of the seal of Solomon. Um, yeah, which, so, you know, the seal of Solomon kind of injects order into this world and the lawyers are kind of doing a similar thing, but specifically focused on demons and how, uh, the lawyers as a power structure might have even come about directly as a result of the seal of Solomon and how they might be subtly kind of influencing uh, and and kind of eroding the order of the world through their dealings and stuff and it's a great comment it's a long one so i'll I'll leave you people to to read it themselves but it's just a really interesting one it really got your brain working yeah i actually didn't encounter this till after i read 16.3 which of course ended with that whole change you know third dimension 
type aspect to um to humanity mm. uh and, and like i love how this train of thought starts to slot in that direction like if the seal of solomon was humanity organizing and and trying to change things once they'd established that the idea that demons could work to corrupt and destroy that idea by creating the lawyers is is a fantastic extension of it yeah um, i i really liked where this had my head go yeah it was um, very cool and in fact, like just just while we're talking somewhat about this, like uh, we talked in sixteen point three about like how becoming a practitioner tied into the concept of humanity as the agents of change, mm. um, and we weren't quite sure exactly what it was. And and sort of just after that, like I had the thought of becoming a practitioner is about changing your humanity. Like we've seen that so much. Like you, yeah, you become a practitioner and you become a bit more other, and you basically change what it is to be human. And I mean, of course that's what humans do because they're about change and like what sort of agent <laughs> of change would you be if you don't try and change yourself yeah so like i love this idea of the practice being humans changing themselves as much as they're changing everything else like you you shouldn't you can't just hold this ideal of humanity as, as stagnant like when your whole thing is that you're trying to evolve the universe yeah definitely um even to the extent where they can change themselves into demons you know like yeah. being a diabolist then being a lawyer you're basically taking steps towards becoming some kind of demonic entity um, yeah well, i mean that's, that's the thing that's the thing pact has made very clear sometimes change is good sometimes it's not <laughs> you know it's yeah. change isn't isn't unidirectional it's uh it's a bit of a crapshoot and you just got to try and hope that you can do most of it in the good direction uh as much as you can yeah yeah um yeah i guess that's the end of our episode uh so leave us your thoughts on what you thought of uh judgment 16.4 or on our new discussion question again what happens if you juice up another basically is the concise <laughs> version um you can leave your thoughts on that in our discussion thread which will be linked in the show notes down below uh yes and if you want to learn more about the other shows on the doof media network head on over to doofmedia.com uh there's you know kingslingers was the 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 shiny new podcast mm -hmm. of doof media and it's still great um but we actually have an exciting announcement for those who haven't heard already uh uh we want more uh which is a podcast doing the we've got worm treatment on uh harry potter and the methods of rationality yep um is has just joined the doof network so yeah. we're all very excited for that um, yes I, I we've talked about uh, HP more a bunch on the Discord and we talked about it on MediaMD. It's a great story and one that I think is very interesting, especially if you're a fan of Wabo style stories. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, check out We Want More and see if you want to you know dive into the story with them. Yes, uh, ever since we we touched on it in MediaMD years ago, and I read like one chapter, I've been meaning to find an excuse to go back and start it, and now I finally have. Yep. So I'm I'm very excited to get into this. Yeah. And that's why we brought it on the network, Elliot, just so you could go back and read. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to support all of these great shows like Kingslingers, like We Want More, like all of the great shows in the Doof Media Network, you can become a patron. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media. There's a bunch of cool perks and rewards that you can get for supporting us on Patreon. And the best place to find out about those is on patreon.com forward slash Doof Media. Yep. Uh, obviously, one of those perks is you get to vote in all the contests Doof runs. And uh, mm -hmm. something else we should mention is that the voting is now open for the Doof the Right Thing competition that closed last week. So, uh, you know, you, you can if you're a patron, you get to go on and you get to read all the stories, which is like... Yeah, pretty it's good It's amazing. Reward. Yeah, when it's, it, you get to choose which ones are your favorites. And not only is there a buttload of them, they're like in, insanely good. Like, you yeah. can really see uh, how, how much 
like improvement there is when you get to go back and edit what you what you chuck out in half an hour so it's like yeah. that really that it feels like that evolution of the do the right thing format and um i'm i've been really enjoying the stories that i've read yeah definitely um find out more about that on our patreon and hey while you're on patreon why don't you check out wildbo's patreon patreon.com forward slash wildbo because he makes all this cool stuff because people give him money it's like a deal with the devil but good so go do it <laughs> yeah there's no there's there's no secret underbelly to this deal he just as far he as keeps we know, writing yeah. the stories um i suppose that depends which character dies that's um <laughs> That's that's wild. Yeah, so like, if, if you want your favorite characters to survive, go and back him on Patreon. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So apart from that, we'll see everyone on Friday, the seventh of February, uh, as we dive into Judgment sixteen point five. Bye.